It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And you can also find me uh, on Monday's episode of Locked On NFL. I went on and uh, guested with Matt Williamson over there, the flagship show. Do go check that out if you are starved for some actual Viking analysis and you're, you're sick of these human interest stories. But if you are not sick of these human interest stories, I have great news. We're doing three more of them today. And I want to start with a little bit of a fan favorite, a hometown kid, the Augustana legend. I want to talk about C.J. Ham, And when C.J. Ham was born, I always get so happy when I get to go all the way back to the moment that they were born because some journalist asked about it. In this case, it's Lindsay Young who wrote an awesome profile about him. It's linked in the show notes. Do go check that out. But when he was born, his great-grandmother took one look at the baby and was like, he's going to play football. And it, it's one of those things that you just like cannot even possibly hope to explain. She just knew. And that was a little surprising and sounded a bit far-fetched at the time because C.J. Ham did not come from a football family. He came from an athletic family, but it wasn't team sports. It was boxing, it was karate, and even C.J. Ham, when he was growing up, he was, like, really into skateboarding, of all things. You know, there's uh, this, this kind of through line with all of these stories when it comes to, like, whatever they played. To be an NFL player, you kind of have the have to have this, like, I want to be the greatest ever mentality. You just kind of have to. It, it's part of what would, like, drive that NFL work ethic. And so for C.J. Ham, when he was a, a skateboarder as a kid, he was like, I wanted to be Tony Hawk. And I feel like when you're an NFL player, when you're doing a series covering only people who are NFL-level prospects... You so rarely get people that are just kind of like, yeah, as long as I'm like pretty good at this, I'm okay with it. No, he wanted to be the best, just like every NFL player does. And then eighth grade came around and, you know, when you get older, you kind of have to pick something and and like decide what your priority is going to be because there's just only so much time in the day and you can't take on every extracurricular activity. And so when it came time for C.J. Ham to kind of make a choice of what, what what's he going to pursue, you know, what's he going to pour his energy into, football or skateboarding, he was like, yeah, you get hurt too much in skateboarding, so I'm going to go with football, which in hindsight is a hysterical logic, but it worked out because he was immediately, like, really good. So his coach in high school was a guy by the name of Frank Huey, and Frank Huey was also the phys ed teacher for C.J. Ham when he was in fifth grade. So he already, like, kind of had seen this kid. And he remembers, he, he like, recalls this wonderful moment when they were, like, playing dodgeball, and he goes up to C.J. Ham and he just tells him, like, you are going to be a leader on my football team one day. He just sees this kid, this bundle of energy, this, this like, super infectious personality on this kid. And I don't know what it is about C.J. Ham that makes everybody that comes across him be able to make, like, weird Nostradamus-level predictions about his football-playing career, but this is another one. It's, it's like there was just destiny rolling off of this kid. So, as luck would have it, he ends up playing in high school for Frank Huey's team, and he is immediately the greatest player there. To the point where there's actually, like, anecdotes in the, the Lindsey Young article of, like, position coaches fighting over him and people being like, no, I want him to be on my defensive line and other people being like, no, I want him on my offensive line. No, I want him at running back. And he ends up just being this, like, multi-positional superstar in high school. So there's one other fun anecdote. So in all of high school, he fumbles one time uh, as a running back. 
And the coach, Coach Huey, comes in and, and says, all right, you want to do that? We're going to put you on offensive line. And apparently that was really bad news to him. He wanted to be a skill player. So at any rate, as good as he was in this high school in Duluth, that's not going to get you a lot of attention. So he is spared the, the Division One scouting and the recruiting process and all of that. He ends up at Augustana, a D2 school. So at Augustana, he doesn't get a, a lot of run and he kind of has to stay in the background, but it's important to know about CJ Ham that he never really had an issue with just doing what the coaches asked. And if that meant be a backup, then that was that. I mean, every time his position coach would come, you know, say, I need you to play defensive line today. I need you to play offensive line today. I want you to play fullback. Uh, You know, even all the way to when the Vikings were like, I want you to play fullback. um, You know, he was fine with that always. There was a a certain humility and a quiet confidence. I was like, yeah, you know, this is going to be what I do. And I know I'll be good at it. So it's fine. I can excel at whatever you ask me to do. And that kind of confidence was, like, really infectious to all of his coaches. And I think it's a really important part of his story as, you know, these fun little anecdotes continue to pile up. So eventually it is after his junior season, and he's starting to notice that people are watching him. And there's, like, four teams actually giving him a look. And he kind of realizes, like, I'm going to get a chance in the NFL. And his maybe that motivates him, or maybe he just has a good season, senior season because he's a senior. But he blows up in his senior season, and he gets a 1,000-yard season, even though it's the only year he actually starts at Augustana. So through all of this, his mom, who is very much supportive and at all the games, but of course her mother is going to worry when her son is out there like getting beat up and especially playing running back where you get tackled every time and you get hit a bunch. So, you know, she at the end of his college career is a little bit like, okay, at least like there's a sigh of relief. Like at least I don't have to, you know, stand up there in the, in the bleachers and like worry for three hours all the time. And then CJ calls his mom and is like, hey, I'm going to try out for the NFL. And it's like, oh my goodness. Like you can't be like mad about it. You have to be supportive, but like, all right, here we go again. And originally that tryout for the NFL doesn't go so well. He doesn't get drafted. He doesn't get any calls after the draft and he doesn't get any signing. Uh, But the Vikings do invite him to minicamp. And for a lot of players, that's like kind of the end of it. And that's the peak. You know, you were a good player in high school, you were a good player in college, you get your your Vikings jersey with with your, like, name taped onto it, and that's kind of that. And you have your little memorabilia and your keepsake, and you move on with your life. Uh, C.J. Ham, if it weren't for football, he would have gone into teaching and kind of started his career there. Uh, so he goes to minicamp, and he kind of says, like, yeah, I was, like, getting some good looks. And, and you know, if you recall, with minicamp, that's not a spot on the 90-man roster. That's a spot basically filling out drills and being a warm body and you know they'll look at you and maybe they'll take you on instead of somebody else so he says all right yeah I got some good looks I'm not going to find out and uh it's it's so it's Mother's Day which is the day that he would get this call whether or not he made it onto the 90-man roster and he calls his mom and he's talking to his mom on Mother's Day and he's like yeah no I haven't gotten the call yet and I'm really nervous and I'm like you know kind of starting to worry that it's not going to happen and his mom's like listen just go to church and, and relax and, you know, what, whatever will come will come, but just go about your day like you normally would. And so he goes to church and he gets out of church and he has a call from the Vikings. And the Vikings have, have decided that they want him to come try out on the 90-man roster. And that kicks everything off. He makes the practice squad his first year. He's on the active roster due to injuries by the end of it. 
Uh, he makes the true roster in 2017 after they ask him to be a fullback, which as we know about CJ Ham, that's completely not a problem for him. And then by 2018, he is a, a, a fixture. He's the guy signing autographs when he used to be the kid in line trying to get autographs. I mean, he grew up in Duluth rooting for like Carter and Moss. And it's the same story that we see with like Adam Thielen and, and Brandon Zilstra. And there's like all kinds of players that like grew up as Vikings fans that now get to be Vikings. And it's just the coolest thing in the world. So headed into 2019, uh, CJ Ham is under threat as always. I mean, he had two fullbacks nipping at his heels last year and he has now Kare Blasingham uh, this year, who is very athletic and actually has a chance to like really make some noise, and CJ Ham is going to have to fend him off. And and being a fullback and somebody who's on you know a, a contract that's worth less than a million and basically is free to cut and when it comes to like salary cap decisions and all that, it, when it comes to players like that, you're probably going to be under siege every single year. He is probably not going to have a season with the Vikings where he's just the anointed guy and they don't ever bring in anyone from undrafted free agency to some random, you know, free agent at the veteran minimum. Um, you know, he is always going to be fighting off a challenge. But for CJ Ham, that's not going to be a problem. You know, going back to him uh, in, in high school when he was a running back and Coach Huey was talking about him, you know, he would... Uh, you know, be squared up against somebody for like an Oklahoma drill, or he would see somebody trying to tackle him and he wouldn't think, uh oh, I'm in trouble. He would think, uh oh, they're in trouble. And I think that's just the mentality that CJ Ham brings to everything. And I think that's a huge part of why he's been pretty gosh darn successful up to this point in his career. So I am going to step away to an ad break. And when I come back, we will talk about the next player on the list. Uh, but first, before I go, I do want to shout out today's show's sponsor, Hotels.com. Uh, you know, you go on social media, right? You see your friends and your family on vacations. Don't just like it and then get all salty. Go book your own trip. Use You can use Hotels.com to do it. And you can get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, get rewarded. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right. Welcome back. So, Next on the list is punter Matt Weil. We have not nearly done enough specialists on this series yet. I'm saving them all for last, I guess. Uh, so I want to take you back to uh, when a young Matt Weil was in third grade playing soccer, as most punters and kickers are wont to do, and uh, there would be a penalty kick, and they would bring him out to kick the penalty kick, and he lined up about 25 yards back as a third grader, as an eight-year-old kid, 
and smacks the ball. And the goalie at the time comes out to, like, where he thinks the ball is going to be, so he runs forward because he's eight, he's not going to kick it that far, then goes flying over his head and into the goal. And at that moment, Matt Wiles' father is like, okay, we need to buy a kicking tee, we got to see something. And that kind of kicked off everything for Matt Wiles' playing career. Now, Matt Wiles had a, a little bit of his destiny laid out for him because he was the fifth generation of the Wiles family to go to Michigan. His great-great-grandfather was a doctor, and his great-grandfather was also a doctor and helped establish the D Department of Dermatology at Michigan. His grandfather a doctor, his father, a doctor, and then it was his turn to go to college, and he was an engineer and a place kicker. Had to break a little bit of the streak, I guess. So anyways, back to third grade, uh, little Matt Weil kicking in front of his dad, who brings out one of those little orange tees and sets him up in front of some uprights, uh, you know, all kid-sized stuff, and says, okay, let's try this, can you do it? And he goes 20 for 20 as a third grader. So at this point, the die is cast. He's going to do this, and, and his parents set him up with everything you could possibly want. They set him up with a specialized kicking coach. They, they get him into football programs, and they make sure that, that he is able to like exercise this crazy talent that he's had since he was a little kid. So in high school, he is, as you may predict, an accomplished kicker, and he actually gets invited to the San Antonio United States All -Amer Army All-American game. But here's the twist, as a punter. And from there, he actually gets some looks, and he visits with San Diego State and Air Force and, of course, Michigan. And considering the family lineage, once he visits Michigan, he commits to there, and he actually uh, cancels other trips to Nebraska and Washington. He is going to be another Wolverine. So while actually had a connection to San Diego State, and him turning that down also kind of matters here. So his father is actually the team physician at San Diego State, and when Weil was a kid, he actually moved the whole family out to San Diego, where Matt Weil was actually... Uh, raised. So there were actually moments at Michigan after he had committed his freshman year when he actually played against San Diego State and all of the other players were like, hey, where's your dad? And he points up in the stands to see the San Diego State team physician decked out in blue and yellow. So he starts out as principally a place kicker, which has kind of been his whole thing throughout uh, high school. I mean, he did play a little bit of other positions as a lot of players do, but he was mostly, I mean, he's a kicker. That's been his whole thing. But his freshman year, before the season, the Wolverines punter gets in trouble for violating team rules and is suspended for four games, and now Matt Weil has to actually go punt. And this, if not the All-American Army game, is kind of the start of when he actually ends up being a punter and not a kicker. So he does that, and he does it pretty well, and then the real punter comes back, and then he's a kicker for the season. And then in 2012 the coach actually has him compete. And they say, all right, you two are going to compete to see who actually is the punter, and we'll see who gets the principal job. And so th this is amazing, because when he got to school in 2011, he hadn't really punted at all. I mean, he like did it at the one game, but otherwise he, he didn't really know how, and he just kind of started practicing. And he picked that up just as naturally as he picked up place kicking. So then by the spring of 2012, they're actually competing for the job, and Matt Weil ends up winning it, and he hangs on throughout the whole his whole junior season. So his senior season, he goes back to kicking, but it, at any rate, he declares for the NFL as, I guess, a hybrid kicker and punter, and that's good enough for the Carolina Panthers to sign him as an undrafted free agent. And then begins the whirlwind of a special teams player, a specialist, 
that's a journeyman. So he ends up getting a chance with the Carolina Panthers, but he doesn't make the team his rookie season. And so he actually sits out for the entirety of the 2015 season. And then in the next March, he ends up getting a a deal in free agency with the Cowboys. But similarly, he, again, he doesn't make the team with the Cowboys and he sits out again. It looks like he's going to sit out again. And honestly, when you're just sitting on the bench or sitting on your couch, that is, you know, you, you really think it's over. I mean, you got to think about, all right, how am I going to pay rent next month? I mean, am I really going to like spend all this time staying in football shape in case a phone call comes? Is a football, you know, is a, is a football team really going to call me right now? What are the actual odds? Should I just move on with my life? Uh, but in 2016, he actually does get a call. It takes all the way until November, but the call comes. The Falcons pick him up, and they need him for just one week, so they pick him up, and he gets a chance, and then uh, they release him immediately thereafter. But then when once he's released, he hits the waiver wire, and I guess that gets him on some of the other team's radars, or at least reminds them that he exists, because about a week after he's released from Atlanta, he goes to Arizona, and they put him on his on their practice squad. Keep in mind, this is all like within a year of him going undrafted and trying to make the Carolina Panthers. I mean, this is just the next football season, so there's a lot of traveling and moving around and crazy stuff going on here. So he gets promoted at the end of December to the active roster and actually finishes out that year with Arizona. And then he goes into training camp for a third straight year. He goes into a training camp, tries to make the team, and doesn't make the team. So he is released in early September of 2017 this time. And again, he stays all the way out of the season. And, and he, he doesn't get another call for the whole rest of the season. So it seems like the, that 2016 whirlwind might have been it for him. But then come January of 2018, he gets a chance with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And for a fourth time, he's actually going to get an opportunity to try to make an NFL team. And for a fourth time, he doesn't make the cut. And he ends up getting waived. And that's when the Vikings, out of nowhere, decide that they're going to pick him up and use him as the punter instead of Ryan Quigley, who had been the punter in 2017. So that 2018 season, you know, it it kind of felt like, and and when he got signed and the way that I covered it, I, I wasn't really familiar with any of this story stuff. I really only learned all of that whirlwind to do this very segment. That was his first, like, extended stable action as an NFL player. He spent four years bouncing on and off rosters and not really sticking anywhere, just coming in in relief duty when someone else's punter was hurt. And now he sits in a relatively stable position. Now, there have been rumors that the Vikings are going to pick up other punters and and maybe have other people compete with him at training camp. And we'll see how all that shakes out. After all, I mean, Ryan Quigley had absolutely no competition throughout training camp, and it ended up that he kind of did have competition because Matt Weil came in off of waivers and, and like, beat him out. And there's nothing stopping the same thing from happening to Matt Weil now that he's the incumbent. So uh, unlike a lot of other players that kind of, like, enter camp unchallenged, that's not really going to be the case ever for a specialist, especially not somebody like Matt Weil, who doesn't exactly have this crazy resume to precede him, just the the performance you saw in 2018, and however happy the Vikings' new special teams coaching is with that. So Weil is going to have to perform in the preseason, lest the Vikings try to look elsewhere for competition, and he might even end up in competition. I don't know at this particular juncture, but it's been kind of a wild ride all the way from, you know, the Michigan lineage and all that good stuff, all the way through, you know, five different NFL franchises before he ends up in Minnesota and actually plays out a full season as an NFL punter. And and now here he is. So we'll see how all that plays out, but I am going to step away to another ad break, and when I come back, we will talk about Stefan Diggs. But first, I do need to talk about uh, one of the sponsors for 
today's episode, let's talk about BlueChew.com. Fellas, do you ever reminisce about the, the glory days, especially fellas of a certain age who maybe don't perform in the bedroom the way that you used to? You should check out BlueChew.com because intimacy is important at any point in a relationship. So if you don't take it seriously, then, I mean, come on, man, what are you doing? Blue Chew is the first chewable tablet of its kind, and it uses the same FDA-approved ingredients as, like, Viagra and Cialis, so you know exactly what you're getting. But as it is a chewable tablet, it works twice as fast, so you can more readily take advantage of the moment when it arises. And Blue Chew isn't just for men of a certain age who can't perform the way they used to. Anybody can take Blue Chew and expect an increase in performance in the bedroom. That's bluechew.com, blue like the color blue, chew.com. Go check it out. All right, welcome back. Now let's talk about my favorite Viking. I'll say it. He's, he's my favorite player on the team right now, Stefan Diggs. So it's really important to me that, that I get this story right. So I want to take you all the way back to the beginning when Stefan Diggs and his father were bonding over a particularly good play that Stefan Diggs had made. He, it was a sweep, and he lowered his shoulder, and he ran a guy over. It was a good play. And that was the first time that his dad complimented him on a football play. This is, like, very classic sports dad stuff, you know, like one of those relationships where it's all criticism, but it always comes from a place of tough love, and he's just doing that because he wants you to, to get better and to grow. And looking back, Stefan Diggs is, is always going to, like, cherish these moments because at the age of 39 in 2008, Aaron Diggs will pass away from congestive heart failure. He won't get to see what Stefan Diggs becomes at Maryland. He won't get to see what Stefan Diggs becomes in Minnesota. He won't get to see the Minneapolis Miracle. He won't get to see Stefan Diggs sign a, a big NFL market value contract. He won't get to see any of that, but... Maybe if you believe in a higher power, maybe you disagree. Maybe he did see it. At any rate, the football mentorship responsibilities will fall to his mother, Stephanie, who goes from somebody who just kind of had to show up to the games and cheer when she was supposed to, to somebody that has to actually kind of step in and start to do the things that her husband was doing for him. He chooses to go to Good Council High School in Maryland when he kind of thinks that's what my dad would have wanted. And even... Though he isn't around anymore, he's still having that much of an impact on Stefan's life. Eventually, Stefan Diggs will turn into, as usual, a prodigy in high school, and he will be recruited highly from a whole bunch of schools, but as a kid who grew up in Maryland, he decided to stick with his hometown college, and he went to go play for Maryland. And his 2012 season was a particularly unique moment for a, a to-be NFL prospect. You know, like I've been talking about throughout this whole series, there's kind of a loop for college players. They start out small, they start out as red shirts, and they work their way up to being starters and, and you know, senior captains and stuff, and they, there's kind of this, this trajectory. Diggs skips a bunch of steps. He comes in as a freshman and a superstar, and he has this, like, crazy 2012 season with, like, all of this production. His sophomore season was going very similar until a fateful game against Wake Forest, when he watches his friend and teammate Dion Long get carted off of the field with a broken leg. And a couple hours later, the same thing will happen to Stefan Diggs. He will break his fibula, and he will go through a painful and daunting and mentally and emotionally draining rehab process. To understand this, you kind of have to understand Diggs' personality. And, I, and I'm sure you see a little bit of it. I mean, when you look at the way that he celebrated after the Minneapolis Miracle, you see that swagger, that confidence, that 
that just like relishing the moment, how he just soaked in the crowd and the media and he just stood there on the sideline. It's kind of always been who he is. And a lot of that is because he's kind of always been a superstar. In his freshman year, in the first part of his sophomore year, he was everything for Maryland. He was, I mean, people would line up to sign autographs. He was the superstar of the team. He came in right away and he just changed the offense. And and Maryland was not a good football program. So a guy like Diggs picking Maryland, he was immediately the it man. The guy all the kids looked up to, the guy everybody wanted to be or be with. But then he broke his fibula and he had to get surgery. He couldn't shower without the help of his teammates. He, he couldn't walk without crutches. And it took him two months before he could even put shoes on. And when you're in that state and you're not the superstar, you can't even walk, you don't want to face the, the legions of adoring fans that, that once fawned over you. You just kind of want to slink away. And for a guy like Stefan Diggs, that was difficult. It's, it's really difficult to cope with not wanting to go be the superstar anymore. In an effort to get back on the field more quickly than he probably should have, he actually will injure his Achilles and his calf as well. A minor one, but a setback that makes it so it takes him even longer to come back from that injury. So it's a long road back to football for Stefan Diggs, and on his way back and rehabbing and getting ready to play again, his coaches decide they're going to try to, like, teach him to be a more complete receiver. And instead of just kind of being like a dynamic playmaker, get his hand, get the ball in his hands type, you know, they want to teach him how to block. They want to teach him how to run crisper routes. They want him to be a more complete prospect because they're worried, to be honest, that his athleticism isn't going to be the same when he comes back. I mean, it's the same thing we've seen time and time again. I mean, we saw this with Laquan Treadwell. He just never quite regained that like dominant illness form. And I think that they were worried uh, about a similar effect with Stefan Diggs. Now, of course, we know in hindsight that things worked out just fine. But this also kind of slows down his recovery into turning into, you know, an actual dynamic threat. The the major prospect that just kind of decided he wanted to go to his hometown school. So all this kind of adds up in, in a level of play post-injury that is still very good, still very much NFL draftable quality play, but it scares teams off. That and the medical, it scares teams off, and they end up not drafting him until the fifth round. Again, we know how this turns out, and we know how, how big of a mistake this ends up being. And when he does get taken by the Vikings in the fifth round you kind of know where the story goes from there. He plays in his rookie year. He's very good. In 2016, he kind of breaks out. 2017, he has the miracle. And, and that moment really deserves to be kind of looked into from Stefan Diggs's perspective. After he makes that play, really the whirlwind happens. I mean, everything changes. Where he was in 2015 and 2016, a promising young wide receiver and somebody that if you really looked into it, you could say, yeah, wow, this kid's really good. But he wasn't a household name. He wasn't a superstar. And and I think with the miracle, it kind of cemented this this like reclamation of of him being, you know, big man on campus, him being the, the superstar, the guy that kids line up to get autographs of, the, the same like swaggery, the same kind of uh, culture-defining personality that he is in the Vikings and that he was in Maryland. And so when he signs that big contract last training camp, it's, it's a huge moment for him, for his mother who sacrificed all kinds of stuff to, to get him where he is today. And, and I think Stefan Diggs himself would tell you that if it weren't for his mother, he wouldn't be there. So he buys his mom a house and prays to his father and moves on. Now he's a face of the franchise type player. He is somebody that is synonymous with the Minnesota Vikings and will be for years to come. As for the preseason, he's one of those players that you just kind of stay healthy and 
and get the new offense under your belt. Uh, but I think the things that Stefan Diggs went through to get to this point are things that would have stopped a lot of other people in their tracks. You know, when your father passes away at the age of 14, I don't think a lot of people turn that into an illustrious NFL career, you know, whether or not they have the talent. I, I think when you break your leg in college, a lot of people don't turn that into an illustrious NFL career. And I think that, you know, I mean, we've covered players that have been through a lot more than Stephon Diggs, but not many. And the fact that Diggs ended up, you know, accomplishing what he's been able to accomplish so far and, and looking toward a future where he probably accomplishes a lot more, it's a hell of a story. And it's one worth just kind of taking a step back and admiring. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you all so much for hanging out and listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find me on Monday's episode of Locked on NFL on the flagship show. I uh, guested over there. Do go check that out. Uh, you can find that show and this one on any podcast app you like, and you can always just ask your smart device, play podcast Locked on Vikings or play podcast Locked on NFL, and it'll take you right to the most recent episode of whatever show. I will see you all tomorrow, and as always, skull. Hey, Locked on Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.